Welcome back to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. My name is Eric, and in this episode, I've got financial advisors and authors, Scott Kyle and Patrick Fisher, here to talk about their new book called The Compound Code, an expert guide to trading stocks and options. You can find the book on Amazon. I'm also going to link up their information in the description or the notes of this show. But let's go ahead and dive in with Scott and Patrick and talk about The Compound Code. All right, we got Scott Kyle and Patrick Fisher on the podcast today talking about their new book, The Compound Code. Welcome to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. How are you guys doing today? Yeah, really good. Thanks. Thanks for having us, Eric. Yeah, yeah, sure thing. Now, before we get into your book, um, just tell us a little bit about your background and maybe how you guys know each other, how you got into finance. Just give, give us a, a little uh, history about yourselves. So um, my dad gave me my first investing book when I was a freshman in high school, way back in 1984, which is probably before a lot of your listeners were born. But nonetheless, that was my first introduction to investing. And then I read a book and actually met Warren Buffett, as has Patrick, um, in my uh, in my business school years. And I really just fell in love with not just the idea of investing, but also the idea of uh, being an owner of a business, which was Warren Buffett's philosophy, and also um, the ability to use rational thought to help myself in investing and to help clients. So I started um, Coastwise Capital Group uh, more than 20 years ago uh, with Patrick's help. He'll uh, talk about uh, how we met. And we've just been serving you know, clients uh, ever since, trying to help them make smart financial decisions because most people's brains, as Warren Buffett says, are not wired to make smart financial decisions. They, they tend to do things based on emotion, not on facts or rationality. So you know, we try to help them override their natural tendencies, which may not be in their best interest, to uh, help them achieve various financial goals. So really fortunate to love love what I do, um, work with great people, and um, you know, thankful for this opportunity as well. Great. So my, my first exposure to to finance and investing was probably my high school calculus teacher, where we were sort of using our TI-82s to graph parabolic curves. And he explained the power of compounding the states when using a TI-82. But he, he sort of you know instilled in us at a very early age that if you invest you know small amounts over a long period of time, you're going to do very well. So take that with some Callaway golf stock that I was given at my high school graduation, which was physical certificates of the actual stock, mm-hmm. which I had in my wall. Um, lended itself to working with Scott as my first job out of college when I graduated 20-something years ago. So we've been uh, friends and colleagues and business partners for for decades now. Very cool. You know, it, it just reminded me, so my I have kids that are, my son's in high school, my daughter's in middle school. And a couple of years ago, I tried to get them interested in in trading because they see see various things that that I'm doing, charts and stuff like that. And um, so it sounds like, you know, you guys had an adult or, or that sort of handed you something or, or kind of interested you. So this is more of a personal question. It's like, how, how do you, did you think there's an age where kids might uh, gain a little bit more interest? This past year, my son actually um, asked me about dividends. I don't know if he got it from school or whatever. And we had a really good conversation and, he, and he's kind of thinking along those lines, but um, any, any thoughts on that of, of getting, do you guys have kids have or? Kids yeah, I'll go. I'll go first, um, and I know Scott will have some thoughts as well. So I, I do have kids. My kids are are five and just two. Okay, and I think it's probably a little bit early to start talking about security selection and, and covered calls and those sorts of things. But I don't yeah. think it's too early to sort of think about the concept of investing in your future self. And so whether it's mm-hmm. you know time spent not on an iPad or time spent you know doing some homework or, or whatever the case may be, I think just the general concept of saving now or having discipline now to have a future better self applies even at the age of five. And so I think at some point you can sort of think about, okay, if you clean your room, you get a dollar, that dollar is worth $2 in two weeks or something like this. We'll get them to sort of think about 
discipline and compounding and and hopefully that that kind of sticks as it did with me although it took me to high school to figure that out yeah scott any thoughts on that yeah uh, scott here so uh, your listeners can't see it but i'm now flashing a picture that my wife gave me the time which is which is entitled of my newborn saying please daddy no more technical analysis and <laughs> that newborn's now 17 in high school and the other one it says maybe if i cover my ears dad will stop talking about the market so that that's yeah. my daughter who's now in middle school so i can totally relate um in terms of educating kids so a couple of things one is at coastwise we actually have an annual scholarship program for high school kids and it's fin- basically financial literacy based so they um submit some we ask some questions they submit answers and really uh, means to help them to start learning about money, investing in finance as they head off really into their their financial lives, their independent financial lives. Similarly, we're in the process. So like um, we talked about before, we're really at Coastwise are very education oriented. So we're in the process of, of writing a new book, which will be out this time next year, called The Other Birds and the Bees money matters your parents never taught you. So it's that mm. idea of hey when you get into let's say high school, there's really I say there's not too young of an age, but realistically, even in middle school and grade school, you could start. But certainly yeah. by high school, kids these days, they have, you know, green light apps and they've got, you know, their parents' credit cards and mm. they've got Apple Pay and all this stuff. And um, if you don't educate them because they don't have real tangible money like we had as kids, for them, it's like something off in space that's just there and always there. Yeah. But in reality, um, you know, if you don't teach kids, certainly, you know, high school kids, good financial habits, then when they go off and they're independent, you know, at, a, at a, the ripe age, uh, age of 18, they can make some really bad choices, um, getting cre- into credit card debt, et cetera, that could haunt them for many years, not to mention, you know, debt associated with college, et cetera. So I would say, you know, to answer the question directly, sometime around middle school or certainly by early high school, just starting to inter- slowly introduce the concepts. Um, and like with any form of education, just build it over time, just, you know, uh, slowly build it over time. It's really one of the biggest gifts you can give your kids along with general education and health. And the lack of that conversation can really haunt them uh, into their deep into their adult life. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and one one thing to just sort of reflect on Scott's comments, and I totally agree that so much of the world now is digital and you don't really see the tangible element of currency otherwise. And I don't even know if you can get physical stock certificates anymore, if that's even a, a possibility. Yeah. But sort of when I when I was given that stock certificate of Callaway Golf in 1997 or whatever it was, it, it really gave me a sense of like, this is a little piece of this business, right? And so I think that kind of makes it a little bit easier to digest and understand that that's, that's, a, real, that's a real asset. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know when we my, I talked to my son about dividends and XYLD had come up, which is like a covered call ETF. And we were talking about, you know, just how much that made and, you know, it's 11, 12% a year and 1% a month. And we, we got a calculator and I know it's probably not exactly that, but, um, but you mentioned the Greenlight app. We actually use Greenlight and they have a, I think the parent has to pay the interest, but there's, there's something where you, the idea of compounding with their, like, if they put it in savings, they'll earn interest. Although you're actually paying the interest and not like a bank. So there's definitely some more modern ways um, I think to do that, I and and I'm kind of working through that now with my uh, my kids. So those, those are um, nice thoughts on that. Sorry, it was complete side side note talking about kids and stuff. But um, so let's talk about the book. Um, it's called The Compound Code: An Expert Guide to Trading Stocks and Options by Scott Kyle and Patrick Fisher. You guys can get a copy on Amazon or uh, Kindle as well, or. Yeah, yeah. So both an ebook. I have as a well paper as, uh, paper copy. So, yeah. 
uh, okay, on Amazon. Cool. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I first want to just congratulate you on putting something like this together. Um, I I like how the book reads. I haven't I didn't get through the entire thing. I've only had it for about a week. Uh, but I I like how you 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 did front load a bunch of education in the front. So there's really kind of a if you're just sort of getting interested in stocks and options, there's something for you there. But I really like how you guys kind of ended with this more of a portfolio view as opposed to um, you know, nailing like a specific strategy, like covered calls or something. And so I, I really think you did a good job in just kind of bringing the reader along the path into, you know, uh, some options that if they're interested in, they can obviously dive deeper, um, there, but, you know, just good job on the, the way the book was structured, I, I guess I'd like to say. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Who do you think this book is for? Do you, do you have a specific or a, a person in mind? Is there sort of an age group or situation or um, who do you think, you know, would be a good uh, reader for this book? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it first. Um, so there are many good books out there for sure. Um, and so uh, you, you have to decide on, on your audience. And in this particular case, I'd say, you know, while someone without any experience could certainly get uh, you know, get something out of the book. It's probably for someone who has some level of investing or finance experience and wants to dig deeper and take that further. So, um, so yeah, I would say it's sort of the maybe the intermediate to advanced uh, reader um, who's you know maybe considering using options on top of the portfolio or who's been doing some investing but maybe not seeing the results they want. In uh, from a demographic or age st- standpoint, it, it really can be anyone because there are plenty of you know, 20 somethings who are actively involved in the stock market, um, you know, including using options that the use of options has exploded over the last decade. I think it's up over 10 X in terms of the, the volume. So clearly yeah. there's a demand for options and more importantly, a demand for education around options, just because if you don't know what you're doing, you can get burned very easily. Um, and then, you know, everywhere up to people in retirement, because uh, while interest rates are higher now, it is sometimes hard to, earn the income that you need from your assets in your retirement years. So doing a dividend paying stock and covered call strategy, which I'm sure we'll get more into, can be a great way to supplement your income. So yeah, so I think it really, it's a wide range and from an age and demographic standpoint, but I'd say, you know, if you're really brand new to investing, read a, read a basic book first and then come to this next. And I would, I would just add to Eric, to your point, I think that it, it's designed to be a book certainly about options trading, but it's options trading as it fits into asset allocation and security selection and equity analysis and portfolio management. So it's designed to kind of look at the entire haystack and not just the needle, which is uh, trading options around a specific stock. Yeah. Yeah. And to, and to that, well, often people often say, oh, you know, you're an options trading firm. And what we say is we're financial advisors. Our goal is to help you achieve your investing and financial goals. And we have many tools to do that, of which options is one. I mean, we have plenty of clients who have no options in their portfolio at all. Let's say you're 25 years old, you have a retirement account, you're adding $6,000 per year. Really, there's no reason to be using options at all. That's very different than you have a million dollars, you have no income because you're retired, and you're using your assets to generate income, then options are perfect. So as, as Patrick said, it is a portion of the book, it is a tool, but it's to be used on top of First of all, financial planning in general, what are your goals, portfolio construction, stock selection, and then the last piece of it, you, you, you could you can sell all the calls in the world you want, but if you don't have a good portfolio, you're not going to offset the declines in the, in the stock price. So it's just, it, it is a very effective tool, but it's a tool on top of kind of the broader investment strategy. 
Gotcha. Yeah. And I want to, I want to come back to what you just said about uh, your different situation. Like if you're younger and you're contributing and, and really kind of focused on growth as opposed to income as you're approaching retirement or in retirement, I want to come back to that. I actually, it's on my list, but I, I, I want to bring out the point that you guys are financial advisors, but you wrote a book primarily centered around options. And I think a, a lot of, you know, traditionally that's those two things don't go together. Like, um, I know if I asked my mom or dad and I said, Hey, my financial guy is, is going to trade options. He'd be like, get a new financial guy, you know, cause <laughs> there's sort of this in, uh, perception that there's risk there. And we all know, I mean, most people listen to this podcast, understand the, the risk of options. Uh, we know there's a lot of risk there, but, um, can you help me bridge the gap between, that traditional view that options are risky versus how you guys are implementing them uh, to generate more of a, a consistent income type of um, strategies. Sure. Yeah, yes. I'll pick this first. So you know, risk can be defined different ways. Often people define it as short-term volatility in the markets, or you know they just have this sort of general sense of risk associated with fear. But the ultimate definition of risk is not knowing what you're doing. A knife can be risky if it's in the hand of, hands of a burglar, if they have bad intentions, or a child who doesn't know yeah. what he or she is doing. But in the hands of a, of a, a doctor, um, a knife is anything but risky. It, it, it can be life savings. So, so similarly with, with options. Options can be risky in the hands or someone who's using them who doesn't know what he or she is doing, but actually very effective if you do have the right education. And furthermore, even with someone who's experienced, you can use options in aggressive, risky ways or in very conservative ways. So citing one example, if you buy a call, um, you could lose the entire premium if what you're if the thing that you're betting on or speculating about doesn't happen, which is a stock price going up during a certain period of time by a certain amount, right? Basically three right. things have to happen. It has to go the direction you want, which is up. It has to do it in the right time horizon and it has to do it in the right amount. It, it, yeah, it you, go you gotta up. be really right. You, you have to be, be really right on three on three yeah. fronts, right? It, it, you could be right on the Monday after it expires, but that's too late. So we rarely are using options in those aggressive, more speculative ways. Instead, we're using them in conservative ways. And so the two examples I would cite would be selling covered calls, where the goal really there and the function is to A, generate income, B, provide some downside protection, downside hedging, and C, reduce volatility. So there... The only risk really is opportunity cost. The stock goes higher, but there's not risk in the sense of, of loss uh, like there would be if you were to buy an option. Uh, or for some cases, we may buy a put to protect against the downside. So in summary, A, we have literally within our firm nearly 80 years of experience of using options. So we've, we've eliminated that risk. And B, we use them in ways that are conservative as opposed to speculative or aggressive. Yeah, and I would I would just add one thing, and I completely agree with all of that. I think the other bit to just sort of keep in mind is that I think when people think about options trading, oftentimes you're thinking about sort of a shorter time horizon, i.e. trading, whereas when you're looking to work with a financial advisor, you might be holding positions and truly investing with like 5, 10, 20 years of time horizon. And I think time horizon is kind of where you distinguish between investing and trading. Mm-hmm. And while we do trade options, largely we'll trade covered calls on, on positions that we hold, we will oftentimes overwhelming majority of the time not get exercised on the call. So we might hold the same 30 or 40 core positions for a decade, trade options around that, 
but from a financial planning and from an asset allocation perspective, the portfolio remains the same for, for years and years. Well, let's go back to um, you know, what you mentioned before about um, you know, someone who's younger, who's putting money and contributing and where you may not use options, uh, kind of more, I don't want to say buy and hold, but probably more in the buy and hold realm uh, versus someone who's in retirement or approaching retirement, who's who's no longer contributing or um, kind of has this fixed amount of money to create income. Talk about uh, maybe a, the difference in strategy or mindset between sort of uh, investing for growth versus versus income. The, the book you know, is titled The Compound Code for a Reason. And of course, Einstein said that compounding is the most powerful force in the universe. And the way to really tap into the power of compounding is time. In the short time frame, let's say a few days or months, even a year or two, compounding doesn't have a big effect. But over many years, it can have a massive effect, which is why the curve of compounding starts flat, slowly moves up, then all of a sudden skyrockets. Like if you look at you know compounding of Warren Buffett's returns of 20% per year since 1964, whenever he started. The point being that someone who's young has, by definition, a lot of time on his side. And therefore, the goal really is to save as much as possible and to not try to time the market, but have time in the market. Because as long as they avoid some basic mistakes, those being not being well diversified or not um, or selling on weakness, selling when they don't need the money, as long as they avoid a few basic mistakes, then they're going to ride that power of compounding over the years and decades that they have. So I would strongly encourage someone who's young to not worry about short-term stock fluctuations, really not worry about options at all, rather optimize their savings, in particular their um, retirement savings, in other words, their 401k, if the company offers that, or an IRA, first and foremost, because of the tax-deferred benefits of those types of accounts, and really just stay well-diversified, keep your costs very, very low, use index funds, and then add as much as possible, and then you, you're you highly, highly likely to, to succeed. Now, that's, and we have clients like that, and that's what we set forth for them, and that's what we encourage, and those are the strategies that, that, that they follow. Conversely, we have many clients who have income needs, either they're in retirement, or we have a client recently who sold a business in, in their 40s, um, but they're retired. And so they're using those assets to, you know, to live a very high quality lifestyle. In that particular case, now you're really focused on a different goal, a different time horizon. The time now they have a long term to time to live, but they need some of the money this month and the next month, as opposed to not for 30 or 40 years. In that particular case, a dividend paying stock with a covered call strategy is perfect because you can have your cake and eat it too. You get your short-term cash needs covered through dividends and option sales. And as Patrick said before, you can still maintain your equity exposure over long periods of time if you manage your options correctly. So uh, yeah, so really it's no different than health. You can't walk into the doctor's office and the doctor just hand you, you know, your health plan. They need yeah. to examine you. They need to know how much do you weigh, what's your body fat, what's your heart rate, what's your cholesterol. Then they'll put you on a plan that's specific to you. Um, and, and that's what we do for our clients. Every client is unique. And, you know, even though financial pundits will scream, you know, Microsoft is good or Microsoft is bad. Well, for someone, it may be good, but someone who works at Microsoft, they may it may be bad to have more Microsoft. So it's really specific to everyone's circumstances. Do you think that um, we talk about covered calls? Do you think that's the most cons like consistent strategy is covered call dividends um, for, for, I guess, more for income? Do you think that that's 
because I think it's a little bit more manageable as well when you're trying to hold uh, a particular holding. But do you think that's a consistent strategy or do you, is there other option strategies that, that you, you know, lean towards? Yeah. I think if you're, if you're looking to generate income, it's hard to find a better option strategy than selling covered calls on dividend paying stocks. So if you get three ish to 4% on the dividend and you get another three to 5% on the covered call, of course, depending upon the strike price and the duration, those sorts of things, you can generate a pretty good amount of income, certainly better than fixed income and keep the equity exposure. I think if you're looking for other ways to generate income using options, another one, which is, it requires a little bit more capital and certainly a lot more monitoring is if you are, you have conviction about whether it's an index or you have conviction about a stock, you can always sell puts at an entry price that you're happy to buy the position. Mm-hmm. But certainly there, you need to have and be prepared to buy the stock if and when it goes down, right? And your exposure there is completely different. So if it's sort of a long-term income generating strategy, covered calls is, is probably your best bet. And in fact, reduces the portfolio exposure as Scott mentioned previously, but you could always look to sell puts if that was something that you had conviction in and, and, and had the expertise to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys, so, you know, people talk about the wheel strategy of selling puts and at some point getting assigned and, and then selling covered calls on those. Is that something you guys implement? Just kind of that whole kind of uh, cycle of being in and out. I mean, I would imagine with dividend stocks, you, you probably don't want to get it called away if you're trying to earn that, but do you guys implement um, that type of strategy where you're, you just let things get called away and then just sell, start selling puts on them next uh, the next period? Absolutely. So again, everything is, is client specific. So if, for example, a client is really focused on, on income um, and less on, on price appreciation, because the way we look at it is there, there are four potential profit centers. There's your fixed income to the extent you have any. There's your dividends. There's your option sales, whether it's puts or calls, and then there's price appreciation. Of those, the option sale is the most secure in the sense you get the cash credited to your account. And by the way, with the cash cash credited to your account, you can actually now go buy more dividend-paying stocks with that in fixed income. So you're actually earning income on top of your income. The second most secure would be the dividend payments if you buy the right kinds of stocks that pay, you know, the Coca-Colas of the world have been paying dividends since 1901, increasing their dividends every year for decades. The the, the putting fixed income aside, the least secure, especially in the near term, is price appreciation. So the point being, if someone is really focused on income generation, then selling a tight call, an at-the-money call, in other words, the call near the current stock price, or even in the money call or slightly out of the money call would be the way to go. By definition, that's more likely to get assigned or called away, in which case you can replace that with a put. So we might sell a put initially, or sell a put, um, let's say, for example, you want a 3% position on a portfolio, you may buy a stock and then have that be 1.5% position, sell a call against that for income, and then sell a put either on weakness or right away further out of the money to generate more income to make the position a full 3% position. When we talked before about having holding on to stocks for long periods of time, that would be a situation where we're selling calls really far out of the money. So it's really kind of an income enhancement strategy where if you get assigned, great, because the the call might be 15 or 20% out of the money. So you've earned a lot on price appreciation, a little bit on income, and you've earned the dividend along the way. So that would be someone who's less income focused, but you're just enhancing their income through an out of the money option sale. But if someone really needs a lot of income, then by all means, we have no problem, especially in a qualified account where there are no tax considerations of selling calls that are right at the money, 
uh, and then replacing those with puts. So yeah, we, we use all the tools um, available to us, depending on what the client's needs are. And I think just one, one last thing to consider, which Scott talked about in a qualified account is tax consideration. So particularly if someone comes to us with a taxable account and they've got perhaps two decades worth of Apple stock that they accumulated over their career, you might see a lot of premium in tight in the money or near the money calls, but you certainly don't want to get them assigned and then they've got a huge tax you know, consideration to account for. So I think that's another piece you have to consider when you're allowing something to get assigned or looking to roll it. Right. Yeah, good point. Um, there was something in the book I really liked um, towards the end. You you had a few things about risk and it wasn't, um, you know, when, when people talk about risk, they, they tend to think of risk of loss. But one of the things that's said in there is there's a lot of risk or there can be risk that comes from not knowing who your money manager is. And I thought that was, um, I thought that was, you know, good to add that. Can you talk about some of those different types of risk um, when it comes to, uh, you know, this topic about managing money and, and options and stuff? I'll just kind of break it down into kind of the, the two big buckets that I think about. One is psychological risk, which is how someone feels when they wake up and they see that the market is down a percent or they're watching CNBC. There's this psychological risk tolerance, which someone kind of puts a finger up in the air and they say that my risk tolerance is a five out of 10. But I think that the real mathematical risk is, you know, in some way, shape or form, people want to make sure that they're not going to run out of money. So you want to be able to run some sort of financial plan or some sort of like pension scenario and map out cash flows over time and adjust the asset allocation and the portfolio management accordingly. So I think, you know, ensuring that someone has enough cash into their later years, and sometimes that tricky conversation can be can be had with a young client who's very risk averse psychologically and wants to be an 80% fixed income, when mathematically they have 60 years of horizon to go, they should be in equities the entire time. So those are sort of the two big pictures, and I'm sure Scott will have some more to talk about that. Yeah, as I said before, um, the, the typical sort of TV financial pundit definition of risk is short-term volatility. You'll hear all the time on, you know, these are very smart people who are well-intended, but they'll say the market's really risky right now because the volatility index is up, VIX is up, or the market's moving up and down. But by definition, if you have followed rule number one in investing, which is match your assets with your time horizon. If you need money for lunch this afternoon, the money should be in cash or in Apple Pay, not in stocks. If you don't need the money for five or 10 years or more, then you should be in stocks. And of course, there's always in between. Rule number one is make sure to match your assets with your time horizon. So if the money you have in stocks, you don't need for five, 10, 15 years, which is how it should be, why does where the market is today or tomorrow, or if it's volatile or not volatile, or they're bad headlines are not bad headlines, literally, why does it matter? If you have done proper asset allocation, that means that you've already set aside, either in cash or fixed income, money you need for the next couple of years, right? And so you shouldn't yeah. care what the market does in the next couple of years uh, because you already have that money covered. What you care about is where's the market going to be in five or 10 or 15 years, in particular, the stocks you own. So there's really this idea of, risk being short-term volatility, I honestly don't know where it came from. It really, I think, just relates to emotions, right? Because people, even though they know intellectually they don't need the money in their retirement account for 5, 10, 15 years, they're just emotionally and almost addicted to short-term movements 
in stocks. I mean, I literally have these conversations with clients. It's almost like therapy. I mean, a lot of what we do is behavioral management, not even money management. We're managing our clients' emotions. Um, so, so if you can just get past the idea of short-term volatility being a risk, you can really focus on the true risks, which are first and foremost, yourself, your own emotions, as Patrick said. We are, we are our own greatest risk. It's not out there in the world. It's really ourselves. But to, to the extent there are risks out there, it's things like having too much money in any one stock, you know, not being well diversified. It's really basic stuff. Or, you know, yeah, or um, trying to follow a fad. You hear all the time, like, you know, like electric st vehicle stocks are up. They're up, up, up. I can't take any more. Now I'm going to get in. And end of scene. You know, yeah, then yeah. they drop 80%, <laughs> right? Yeah. Just sticking to the basics is so, so, so important. And in terms of, you know, you mentioned, Eric, about kind of other people, whether it's, you know, or it's not knowing your advisor. Remember, people like Jim Cramer or mutual fund managers who are based in New York, these are very smart people, but they're not your financial advisor. So when someone calls up Jim Cramer and says, should I buy, you know, BP or CVX or whatever stock, and he says yes or no, he's not talking to you. He doesn't know your goals. He doesn't know your circumstances. He doesn't know yeah. your psychological makeup. So there's no way that you can or should be taking advice from people who don't know you personally. But literally, it'd be like watching a, a, a doctor channel and the doctor says, go run 10 miles. And you're like, but my leg is broken. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, he's not talking to you. And the mutual fund manager in New York, they're managing billions of dollars of which you may have a portion. But again, they're not your advisors. So they don't know your tax circumstances, et cetera, which is why either, you know, make sure you do it yourself and, and educate yourself or work with someone who's specifically creating a portfolio and plan for you. Yeah, good point. You know, and, and I was thinking about something we talked about before we hopped on the recording was, um, you know, this is an educational book, The Compound Code, that's really meant to um, kind of educate you on all the different options of, of you know, options themselves and different types of strategies. But I think, um, you know, it seems to be a right, there seems to be maybe a combination of, of getting a book like this, educating yourself on what covered calls are so that when you do talk to a financial advisor like yourself, do you at least know what they're doing? Because I think there's that, like, you want to be educated, but you may not be able to execute properly. And, and I think there's, you know, that's sounds like what you guys do. You guys are experts at, at the actual execution and selecting those stocks at the right allocation. That part's a lot harder to uh, do than just buying a hundred shares and selling a call on something, which is actually really, really easy. So, um, I, you know, I definitely recommend, um, you know, for those that are like said, intermediate to advanced people go pick up the book again, it's called the compound code, an expert guide to trading stocks and options by Scott Kyle and Patrick Fisher. And with that, you guys have any, uh, any last thoughts for my listeners or is, what's the best way for maybe them to reach out to you guys? Yeah, we're always available. Um, our website is, uh, coastwisecapitalgroup.com. And um, there we have, you know, all, all, everyone's email and so forth. Um, and we we love what we do. We have a passion for it. We really love helping people. We're not salespeople at the end of the day. Um, we're, we're financial advisors and uh, we're always happy to have a conversation. Sometimes there's a fit, sometimes there's not. Um, but we would certainly welcome the opportunity to, to speak with people. And we really appreciate the time, Eric, being on your show. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, great. Thanks. I'll put all your links and, and stuff to the book and your website in the show notes. And um, Scott and Patrick, thanks so much for coming on. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks so much. 
Great. Great. Thanks again.